Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 45th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we're using the correct understanding. For quite a long time, Christ's following statement in the Sermon on the Mount has stood at the center of our Wednesday meetings. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her in a reductive way has already committed adultery with her toward her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. These words have an essential meaning for the entire theology of the body contained in Christ's teaching. This is why we rightly attribute great importance to their correct understanding and interpretation. Already in our last reflection, we observed that Manichaean teaching, both in its earlier and later expression, conflicts with these words. In fact, it is not possible to read in the statement from the Sermon on the Mount analyzed here a condemnation or accusation of the body. If anything, one could see in it a condemnation of the human heart. Our reflections up to this point, however, show that even if the words of Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28 contain an accusation, their object is primarily the man of concupiscence. These words do not so much accuse the heart as subject it to a judgment, or better, call it to a critical and in fact self-critical examination, whether or not it yields to the concupiscence of the flesh. When we penetrate into the deep meaning of the statement in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, we should note, however, that the implicit judgment about desire as an act of the concupiscence of the flesh, contains in itself not the negation, but rather the affirmation of the body, as an element that, together with the spirit, determines man's ontological subjectivity and participates in his dignity as a person. To conclude, the judgment about the concupiscence of the flesh has thus a meaning essentially different from the one that Manichaean ontology is able to presuppose, and that necessarily springs from it. The body, in its masculinity and femininity, has been called from the beginning to become the manifestation of the spirit. It becomes such a manifestation also through the conjugal union of man and woman, when they unite with each other so as to form one flesh. Elsewhere, see Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, Christ defends the inviolable rights of this unity, through which the body, in its masculinity and femininity, takes on the value of a sign, in a certain sense a sacramental sign. And further, when he warns against concupiscence of the flesh, he expresses the same truth about the ontological dimension of the body, and confirms its ethical meaning, consistent with his teaching as a whole. This ethical meaning has nothing in common with Manichaean condemnation. Rather, it is deeply penetrated by the mystery of the redemption of the body, about which St. Paul writes in Romans, 
See Romans chapter 8, verse 23. The redemption of the body does not, at any rate, indicate ontological evil as a constitutive attribute of the human body, but points only to man's sinfulness, by which he lost, among other things, the clear sense of the spousal meaning of the body, in which the interior dominion and freedom of the spirit expresses itself. As we have already emphasized above, what is at issue here is a partial potential loss in which the sense of the spousal meaning of the body is in some way confused with concupiscence and easily lets itself be absorbed by it. The adequate interpretation of Christ's words, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, as well as the praxis in which the authentic ethos of the Sermon on the Mount is realized step by step, must be absolutely free from Manichaean elements in thought and attitude. A Manichaean attitude would have to lead to the annihilation of the body, if not real, then at least intentional, to a negation of the value of human sex, that is, of the masculinity and the femininity of the human person, or at least to the mere toleration within the limits of the need marked off by procreation. By contrast, on the basis of Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount, the Christian ethos is characterized by a transformation of the human person's conscience and attitudes, both the man's and the woman's, such as to express and realize the value of the body and of sex, according to the Creator's original plan, placed as they are at the service of the communion of persons, which is the deepest substratum of human ethics and culture, while for the Manichaean mentality the body and sexuality constitute, so to speak, an anti-value, for Christianity, on the contrary, they always remain a value not sufficiently appreciated, as I will explain in more detail below. The latter attitude shows what should be the form of the ethos in which the mystery of the redemption of the body takes root so to speak, in the historical soil of man's sinfulness. This is expressed by the theological formula that defines the state of historical man as status nature lapse simul ac redempte, the state of fallen and at the same time redeemed nature. Anti-value or value not sufficiently appreciated. One must interpret Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, in the light of this complex truth about man, even if they contain a certain accusation of the human heart. All the more do they turn to it with an appeal. The accusation of the moral evil that the desire born from carnal intemperate concupiscence contains within itself is at the same time a call to overcome this evil, if victory over evil must consist in detachment from it. Hence, the severe words in the context of Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Nevertheless, one must only detach oneself from the evil of the act, in the case at hand, the interior act of concupiscence, and one must never transfer the negativity of this act to its object. Such a transfer would signify 
perhaps not in a fully conscious way, a certain acceptance of the Manichaean anti-value. It would not constitute a real and deep victory over the evil of the act, which is evil by its moral essence, and thus an evil of a spiritual nature. On the contrary, there would be concealed in it the great danger of justifying the act to the detriment of the object. The essential error of the Manichaean ethos consists precisely in this. It is evident that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, Christ demands detachment from the evil of concupiscence, or of the look of inordinate desire, but his statement does not allow us to suppose in any way that the object of this desire, namely the woman at whom he looks with lustful desire, is an evil. This clarification seems to be lacking at times in some wisdom texts. We must therefore clarify the difference between accusation and appeal, given that the accusation directed against the evil of concupiscence is at the same time an appeal to overcome it, it follows that this victory must go hand in hand with an effort to discover the authentic value of the object, in order that the Manichaean anti-value may not take root in man, in his consciousness, and will. In fact, it is a fruit of the evil of concupiscence, that is, of the act about which Christ speaks in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, that the object to which this act turns is for the human subject a value not sufficiently appreciated. If in the words analyzed from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, the human heart is accused of concupiscence, or if it is put on guard against that concupiscence at the same time, and by the same words, it is called to discover the full meaning of that which in the act of concupiscence, constitutes for it a value not sufficiently appreciated. As we know, Christ said, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery committed in the heart can and should be understood as a devaluation or impoverishment of an authentic value, as an intentional privation of that dignity to which the integral value of her femininity corresponds in the person in question. The words of Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28 contain a call to discover this value and this dignity and to reaffirm them. It seems that only if one understands the words quoted from Matthew in this way does one respect their semantic content. To conclude these brief considerations, it should be emphasized once again that the Manichaean way of understanding and evaluating man's body and sexuality is essentially foreign to the gospel. It does not conform to the exact meaning of the words in the Sermon on the Mount pronounced by Christ. The call to master concupiscence of the flesh springs precisely from an affirmation of the personal dignity of the body and of sex, and only serves such dignity. Anyone who wants to see a Manichaean perspective in these words would be committing an essential error. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 45th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, 
a theology of the body. And in order for us to better appreciate those words, it's important to remember where we've been and where we're going. So the first part of John Paul's magnum opus, Theology of the Body, uh, is the words of Christ, focuses on the words of Christ. In chapter 1 of the first part, Christ appeals to the beginning. He's asked about divorce and remarriage, and he reminds those who asked him and those of our own day that in the beginning God created a male and female, the original unity of the couple, the original innocence of the couple, the original justice in which they were, and the original sin which followed. Christ appeals to the beginning. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, Christ appeals to the human heart, and this 45th catechesis is part of chapter 2. This is the fourth part of chapter 2, the heart accused or called. And there are three subparts, uh, condemnation of the body, Manichaeanism, the correct understanding. The 45th Catechesis is the third of those, the correct understanding. The question, a condemnation of the body, is raised because some have said, oh, well, when Christ says you shall not commit adultery, you shall not look upon another with the disordered desire, with the covetous look, the gaze. They say, oh, well, see, that's a condemnation of the body. And so the Holy Father addresses that. He says, no, no, that is a false interpretation. Then he addresses Manichaeanism which is a dualism, saying the body is bad, the spirit is good. That's, an, in a nutshell, Manichaeanism. St. Augustine, before his conversion, struggled with it. He was afflicted by Manichaeanism, but by God's grace and St. Monica's good prayers and his own good hard work. St. Augustine was able, able to overcome his Manichaeanism. The correct understanding, which we began today, points out even further clarifications. The Holy Father specifically says, One could see in the words of Christ a condemnation of the human heart, the implication being not of the body. But our Lord did not come to condemn us, neither in our body nor in our souls. And the heart is the symbol of the whole person. The Lord Jesus came to redeem us, whole and entire, body and soul, to make us a part of his mystical body, which is Mother Church, which is nourished with the sacramental body, which is the Eucharist, his very self, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So while the Holy Father says one could see in the words of Christ a condemnation of the human heart, the Holy Father knows well, and please God, we do too, that our Lord has not come to condemn us, but to redeem us, to call us to conversion, to call us to holiness of life, to behold the other knowing of the dignity of the other, respecting the dignity of the other as a temple of the Holy Spirit, as an adopted child of God, as a brother and sister in Christ. The object of the accusation is primarily the man of concupiscence. So if the words of Christ are an accusation, it's not a blanket accusation as such, but it's an accusation of the one who has that disordered desire, and unfortunately we all have it as a consequence of original sin. But some of us live of it. I'm disordered and I love my disorder and I'm going to foster my disorder. Christ accuses us then. Whoever looks with the disordered gaze, whoever has that disordered desire, has already committed adultery in the heart. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Not only are we not to do the exterior act, we're not to have the interior act. Our Lord accuses the man of concupiscence, the man of a disordered desire of adultery in the heart. 
And this is totally consistent for our Lord who calls us to be those blessed people of pure hearts. The words of Christ, Pope John Paul II points out, do not so much accuse the heart as subject it to a judgment or better, call it to a critical and in fact self-critical examination whether or not it yields to the concupiscence of the flesh. A self-critical examination. Who knows the desire of our hearts? God knows, and we know. So here the words of Christ call us to a self-examination. It's like a check. How is it that I think about others? How is it that I look at others? How is it that I speak about others? The words of Christ subject us to a judgment or call us to a critical self-examination, a self-critical examination. Have I yielded to the concupiscence of the flesh? Do I give in to my tendency to sin with my body, to sin sexually? This is what our Holy Father is highlighting for us. Because if we have succumbed, if we have yielded to the sins of the flesh, to the tendency to sin with the flesh, with the body, then we need to repent. Christ our Lord has not come to condemn, but to redeem us. But if we say we are without sin, the truth is not in us. And that is but another name for the Lord himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Pope John Paul II, in this 45th Catechesis, continues by saying, The implicit judgment about desire as an act of the concupiscence of the flesh contains in itself not the negation, but rather the affirmation of the body as an element that together with the spirit determines man's ontological subjectivity and participates in his dignity as a person. That's one sentence, but it's a doozy. An implicit judgment is different from an explicit judgment. Explicit. I condemn this. You condemn that. She condemns another. Okay, that's explicit judgment. An implicit judgment means it's implied. It sounds like the words of Christ actually give an explicit judgment. Whoever looks with a disordered look upon the other has already committed adultery in the heart. But if there is a judgment on the concupiscence of the flesh, it is also an affirmation, the Pope is saying. The Pope is saying the body is good, and that's why it should be respected. The body manifests the person. We are embodied spirit. And so the Pope here speaks about man's ontological subjectivity. He's talking about our very being. And I exist body and soul as a composite. When I die, my body and soul are separated. But in the resurrection, in God's mercy, they're reunited in heaven or in his justice. They're reunited in a less lovely destination. Christ is not negating but affirming the body as an element together with the spirit, body and soul together. The ontological subjectivity, I am a subject, I am an individual, I am unique. There's never going to be another me, there's never going to be another you. Each of us individual, although of the same human race, the same race Christ the Lord came to redeem by his saving death and resurrection, made possible only because Mary had said yes, where Eve had said no. Mary said yes and conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate the birthday of the Lord nine months later, December 25th, Christmas. The body participates, as the Spirit does, in the dignity of the person. We are who we are. I am what I am. I'm not just my body and I'm not just my soul. And the same is true of anyone upon whom I look, upon whom I gaze. And if I am to be respected, 
and I should be respected as a human being made in the image of God, so to the other. We look upon the other as another self. That's part of the theology of the body. Pope John Paul II continues his theology of the body, man and woman, he created them, by reminding us that when Christ speaks in the gospel, he warns against concupiscence of the flesh, a tendency to sin with the body. He expresses, Jesus does, the same truth about the ontological dimension of the body, the dimension of the being of the body. The body exists. It's part of the good creation. God saw all that he had made, and it was good. The body included, man included, body and soul, our whole selves. And Christ confirms the ethical meaning of the body, consistent with his teaching as a whole. Go and sin no more. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Blessed are the pure of heart. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say, whoever looks upon the other with desire has already committed adultery in the heart. The consistency of the Lord, who spoke with Moses on Sinai's height, even before his incarnation, the same God, and our nature is the same, regardless of what the latest popularity polls would tell you, regardless to what the latest surveys or legislation tell you. Man is not disposable. The human person should not be discarded nor created on a counter or down the drain. What is at issue here, Pope John Paul II reminds us, is a partial potential loss in which the sense of the spousal meaning of the body, and he gave us the spousal meaning of the body in his first part of the theology of the body, Christ appeals to the beginning, how man and woman are made for each other, how the marital union is a lifelong union, is a life-giving union, procreation. There is a partial potential loss in which the sense of the spousal meaning of the body is in some way confused with concupiscence. This is the confusion entered in by Manichaeanism. It's a distortion of the truth of the reality of the person. A partial potential loss in which the sense of the spousal meaning of the body is in some way confused with concupiscence and easily lets itself be absorbed by it. So the Holy Father is calling us not only to check ourselves, to have that self-critical examination, but also be careful of the way we're thinking. Do we recognize the dignity of the human body, the spousal meaning of the body, or do we confuse it with concupiscence? Oh, that's corporeal, that's bodily, it's no good. That's Manichaeanism. We're not Manichaeanism people. We're not dualistic people. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to redeem us whole and entire, body and soul, by shedding his very life's blood on the cross once for all. A sacrifice made present, mysteriously, sacramentally, at each Mass. We hear the words, this is my body given up for you. And those words, coming from the Last Supper, repeated each time the sacrifice of the Mass is offered, could just as easily be spoken by a husband and a wife to each other. This is my body given up for you, and the nuptial embrace is realized. The Manichaeans were against marriage. They were against procreation. 
not so followers of the Lord, not so Christians. We hold these things dear because they're part of the will of God for us, for humanity. Pope John Paul II continues his 45th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by pointing out that the accusation of the moral evil, that the desire born from carnal, intemperate concupiscence contains within itself is at the same time a call to overcome this evil. There's a lot there. It's a very meaty passage. First of all, he says something about moral evil. Well, this is 2011. He spoke these words in the 1980s. I mean, that's so, I mean, we're so modern. Well, there is moral evil. There's physical evil and there's moral evil. I starve to death. That's a physical evil. You won't feed me. That's a moral evil. There is bad stuff that happens. You don't have to read the newspaper every day to figure that out. You don't have to watch the television news every day to figure that out. You don't have to listen to the radio every day or surf the web every day. There is evil in the world, but evil is a deprivation of good. What good should be there? I should not starve. I should not be starved. The virtue of diligence. I should work hard so I can feed myself. I should work hard so that I can give to the one who is starving in generosity. The accusation of the moral evil that the desire born from carnal, intemperate concupiscence, what the heck is carnal, intemperate concupiscence? In a certain sense, it's a little redundant. Carnal regards the body, intemperate, that is without balance, but concupiscence is a tendency to sin. And a tendency to sin is already an unbalanced because it's not acting in accord with my nature. But I suppose the Holy Father is trying to drive the point home. The accusation of the moral evil that the desire born from carnal, bodily, intemperate, not balanced, concupiscence, tendency to sin, contains within itself, at the same time, a call to overcome this evil. So when a spade is called a spade, then we know what to look out for or if that's the tool we need to get it. Now, concupiscence is never a tool we need, but it is a call to overcome the evil of the tendency to sin with our bodies. Christ says, blessed are the pure of heart. Christ says, whoever looks with lust upon the other has already committed adultery. Well, now we're called to overcome this evil. This is the good news, because Christ does not call us to do something which we cannot do. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to follow him, and he was not looking at each other's with a degradating look, with a pure eye, and he saw even to the depths of the heart, and he still sees there. Pope John Paul II continues by saying, One must only detach oneself from the evil of the act, in the case at hand, the interior act of concupiscence, and one must never transfer the negativity of this act to its object. Holy Father's using the imperative repeatedly. One must only detach oneself from the evil of the act. One must never transfer the negativity of this act to its object. Here he's using the full force of his apostolic office. Successor of St. Peter, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And when he tells us to detach ourselves from the evil of the act, he's just echoing Christ the Lord. When he says one must never transfer the negativity of this act to its object, he's echoing the Lord 
but he's also being very much the philosopher. The object of concupiscence would be the one upon whom we are looking in the case which the Lord raises. So the act of concupiscence is the desire, and the object is that which is desired, or the one whom is desired in this case. Very precise, the way the Holy Father is speaking. And it's good for us to be precise, to let our yes be yes and our no be no, to do the good and to avoid the evil or repent the evil if we've done it. The human heart is accused of concupiscence, says the Pope, or put on guard against that concupiscence at the same time. By the same words, it is called to discover the full meaning of of that which, in the act of concupiscence, constitutes for it a value not sufficiently appreciated. And here the Holy Father is preparing us for future parts in his magnum opus, The Theology of the Body, a value not sufficiently appreciated. By our adherence to the words of Jesus Christ, echoed by Pope John Paul II, we show that we value sufficiently and want to value and appreciate even more the human body, human sexuality, and its dignity. Until next time, God bless you.